Hello, everybody who are watching online. So good that you can join us. I'm really excited about this series. The series is called God Behaving Badly. And it's a title that gets you thinking, what's this about? Does God behave badly? Have you ever read the Bible and you come across some verses in the Bible and you kind of wish it didn't say that? Or, or you're like, oh man, did God, really, did, did God really do that? Does this really say this? And, and you just wish it wasn't there and, and you could just cover it up. And, and, or or maybe, maybe you kind of wish there was some kind of clarity around what was just said because it just seems so hard. And, and, and some people, they, when they read the stuff, say, wow, God behaves badly. So this is what the series is all about. Is we're going to explore this idea. You know, is God sexist? Is God angry? Is God homophobic? Is God inconsistent? Is he a racist? You know, so we're going to be exploring all those kind of questions throughout this series. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Is God behaving badly? Let's, let's have a look at that. Uh, for me and my wife, when, when, um, whenever we're sitting down and we're listening to someone preach, like I'm hearing Elliot preach from from the pulpit, I, I sit here and I'm like, I'm listening. I'm, I'm trying to listen to every word that's been said because I, I, I don't want to miss anything. And this is what happens most times. Just about every, okay, every time. My wife is sitting next to me and she taps me on my shoulder and she starts talking to me about something, asking me all these questions. Now, you need to understand something. My wife can multitask. I can't. And I'm like, what, what, yeah, and so I answer her, and then I look back, and I've missed what Elliot said. I was like, oh my goodness. And, and then I think in Scripture, when the apostle, and I, now I understand what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Scripture that women should be silent in church. I totally understand that, because men cannot multitask. Wait till you get home, and then, then ask your husband then. And you know what, that's an as good interpretation of that Scripture than any interpretation you hear right there. But, but here's the thing, when we do read these kind of Scriptures in the Bible, it, it does Big to ask the question, is God sexist? Read these verses about women, about being silent. They can't speak. They can't have authority. Like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. I wish I didn't say that. And, and uh, Big asks another question. Can women have authority over man? Can women teach and preach? Can women lead a congregation that includes both men and women? Is it bu- biblical? And we're going to explore that today. Are you excited to explore that? Is it biblical? Can they? Um, should they remain silent? I don't know. Let's have a look. Anyway, so let's take a look at one of these verse, verses, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, verse 12. It says this, A woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then he goes, verse 12, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Mm -hmm. Anybody saying preach it out there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what's really interesting is that in, in in the whole Bible narrative, there are only these are the only two verses in the entire Bible. That, that, that say that women cannot teach or lead men. The only two verses in the entire Bible. My question is this. Why is it that some, some Christian traditions uh, have taken these two verses and created whole policies and whole doctrines around these two verses? When there's so many in the whole Bible narrative that, that talks, about, um, talks about women in a whole different light, yet people fasten on these two verses. What does the Bible actually say about women? The Bible is a unified story from the beginning to the end. So when we look at the Bible narrative, 
what does the Bible actually say? Have you ever heard of WWJD? Just a little Christian terminology, people wear bracelets. WWJD stands for what will Jesus do, right? And because you wear the bracelet and, you're, and you get angry with someone, you see the bracelet and it makes, oh, I forgive you, I love you. That's what it's supposed to do, but nobody takes notice of it. Well, I, I want to give you another, another word. It's called WDWD. What did woman do? What did woman do? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. And this is the question I want you to ask. And in fact, whenever you read the Bible narrative, ask, what did women do in the Bible? What did they actually do in the Bible? What did the Bible actually say about women? In fact, the first time you hear woman mentioned in the Bible, you find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We're not going to go to that scripture. But the Bible says, well, the first time woman is mentioned in the Bible is that women are God-like. That's right. Women are made in the image of God. So the first time you hear woman mentioned in the Bible is that they are God-like. Men are God-like also, but they already believe that, okay? So they already believe that, so um, they don't need to be reminded. But the first time woman is mentioned in the Bible is that they are God-like. And then when we move on to the Bible narrative, we find the first woman leader. Her name is Miriam, the sister of Moses. And, and Miriam is part of the, the trio of, of the leadership team, this, this partial team that led the children of Israel, where Moses was the lawgiver, Aaron was the priest, and Miriam was the prophetess. So straight out the bat, you find a woman leader right there. So she's leading. She's, she's leading worship. She's, she, she even writes a worship. She writes in the Bible. So part of Scripture is written by a woman. She writes in the Bible. She's, she's, a, she's a Bible-writing woman, and she's leading along with her brother Moses and her brother Aaron. 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 Okay, and then we come up to another woman in the Bible. Her name is Deborah. Deborah. Now, if I was going to describe Deborah, Deborah, Deborah would be like the prime minister, the pope, and Rambo all mixed together in a woman's body. Right? That's who Deborah is, like the president of the United States of America, the pope, and Rambo all mixed together in one woman's body. Have you read Deborah in the Bible? Judges. You need to turn to Judges, have a read of Deborah, Judges chapter 4 all the way to chapter 5. You find this, this amazing woman that God calls Deborah to lead the nation of Israel. Let me tell you something. In the nation of Israel, they had men. So which means she was leading men. She not, did not only lead the nation of Israel, but she was also its spiritual leader as the prophet of Israel of that time. Not only that, but she was also a military leader. She led them into battle. That's what I'm saying. She's Rambo. She is bad as you can think of. Anyway, Deborah. And if you've got an issue with women in leadership, if you've got an issue with women leading men, then you need to take that up with God because God has no issue with, with that whatsoever. Uh-huh. Can I hear an amen out there? Oh, come on, yeah. And all the men said? Yeah, come on, represent. Okay, now, now, now when you carry on along the Bible narrative, we find ourselves in 2 Kings 22, and we've got King Josiah, and what's really amazing, during the time of King Josiah, they discover, they find in the temple, the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, not in that order. And they find it there, the Torah. They find it, and so for whatever apparent reason, we're missing. They lost the Torah, they find it. And they bring it to King Josiah. 
And they go, whoa, this is the Torah, this is the word of God. We need, and he needs the sermon. And, and so he calls for a prophet, the prophet of the nation to come and prophesy and to, and to give us, give the sermon around, around scripture. Now, there was a whole bunch of prophets to the nation that were, was available at that time. Here's a list of prophets that were available at that time of King Josiah. One of them, his name was Jeremiah. Has anybody heard of the prophet Jeremiah? He wrote a book in the Bible called Jeremiah. What a good title for a book. And there was another prophet that called a court, and his name was Zephaniah. Zephaniah also wrote a book in the Bible that's named after himself. Then we find another, there was another prophet called Nahum. Nahum also wrote, wrote a book in the Bible that's named after him. And then the other prophet was Habakkuk or Habakkuk or how the cook or cuck you like to have it. And he also wrote a book after himself. So you've got these four prominent in our Bible, the books named after themselves, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, whichever cuck. And um, he could have chosen any of those prophets to come and, and to bring the sermon, to, be, to, 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 to bring the word of God to the nation. Who did they call? They called Holder, a woman prophet. Holder was the, was the prominent prophet, even more prominent than Jeremiah, more prominent than Zephaniah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, Habakkuk. More prominent than any of those prophets. And she didn't even write a book after herself because, you know, the woman didn't have to prove anything. So she didn't even write a book, but she came and she brought the sermon. So you've got this, got this amazing woman, Holder, a prophet of Israel. So in the Old Testament, women spoke for God. They led the nation in every department. They sanctioned Scripture, and they guided a nation back to the path of righteousness. This is, this is just the Old Testament. This is just some of the women that the Bible talks about. Women that God had raised and placed in leadership and given spiritual discernment. Women that God had called himself. So we get to the New Testament. We've got the Apostle Paul. He praises Junior in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. She is a woman apostle. An apostle who's a woman. <gasps> we can't have apostles that are women. Did you know what happened through history? They changed her name in the Bible. They changed her name from Junior to Junius. They added an S. They masculinized the name. Because we can't have a woman. We can't have a woman apostle. Maybe it was, maybe it was Junius. But you know what? Scholarship, biblical scholarship is clear. Junius, that name didn't, doesn't even exist. It's a made up. They try to change the sex of, of Junior. Junior, which we get the word Julia from. Junior, a woman apostle. So as a woman apostle, she preached, she taught, she led, she church planted, and apparently she was really good at it because Paul says that she is outstanding amongst the apostles. Some translations say, okay, okay, it's Junior, she's a woman, and they change it, and they say, well, she is well known among the apostles because we can't have a woman. But Greek um, biblical scholarship is clear. She was outstanding. She was a woman, and she was outstanding amongst the apostles. The apostle Paul praises her. Then we find a woman by the name of Priscilla in the Bible. She was a teacher of Scripture and theology. She's always named alongside her husband, Aquila. But her name is always, is quite often, is the, is, the, is the first name mentioned, Priscilla and Aquila, which is unusual. In fact, biblical scholars, um, they believe that the reason why her name is first is because she was the prominent teacher. She was the shining light. She was the brains of the outfit. In fact, in Acts chapter uh, 18, verse 24, she instructs 
Apollos and then teaches her the way. He, he was a follower of John the Baptist, but she begins to instruct him and teach him about Jesus, and he becomes this mighty preacher for Jesus. And you find Apollos right through the, the New Testament planting churches, and he was a contemporary of Paul, the, the, Apollos, and it was all because of Priscilla who taught him the Scripture. The Apostle Paul had no problems, no issue with women teaching and leading men. Then we get to the book of Romans, and we, we spoke about Romans, but Romans is, is one of the most explosive theological writings in the world. It is theologically dense, the book of Romans. Of all the books in the Bible, Romans is very dense, very theologically dense. So if you're the Apostle Paul and you know you've just written the most explosive work that you can imagine, that you can think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who are you going to entrust this letter to? Who are you going to trust this letter to, to take to Rome under the nose of Caesar? Who are you going to trust to take this letter? We would think some strong man. What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. No, but no, Paul wasn't singing that at all. Who does he give it to? He gives it to a woman deacon by the name of Phoebe for King Cregi. He entrusts, he entrusts, and we find that in, in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Entrust her. She is the bearer of the letter to the church in Rome. And in the church of Rome, there's about four or five house churches happening in, in the church of Rome. And, and this is what we know of, of ancient letters written in, in the ancient world. Where, when somebody carries a letter to somebody, then they, they are entrusted to read out the letter. And so she's entrusted to read out the letter of Romans, and she's also the one who's entrusted to explain what the Apostle Paul meant by certain ones. Now, if I was Roman, I'll have, I'll have a thousand questions. Man, I've still got a thousand questions now about the book of Romans. I saw, man, there's so much in there, so thick and dense in theology. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. And so here she is. And so Phoebe becomes the first commentator on the book of Romans. The first commentary to the book of Romans was by a woman. And her name was Phoebe, this, this woman leader. So what do we know? Have a look at this list of women. And look, and this is the narrative of the Bible. What did women do? Man, they're godlike. They, they were leaders in their own right, led a nation. They were, they were prophets of God. They were exceptional apostles. They were teachers of Scripture and theology. And not only that, they also wrote the first, they spoke the first commentary to the book of Romans, the most dense and most explosive theological writings ever. What did women do? They're amazing. God called them. They're amazing. I, I'm so blessed that, that we have women amongst us. You know, for far too long, women have been quiet in the church. Look, shh, you be quiet there. We'll leave it for us strong men. You know your place. For far too long. And you know what? When we read the Bible, it's crazy. Where did we get these ideas? Now, if, if Paul, the Apostle Paul, if, if, he, if he had no issues with women leading men, if the Apostle Paul had no issue with women teaching men, then why does he say in 1 Timothy, why does he say this? I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. Why does he say this? In fact, this one verse contradicts the narrative of the Bible. In fact, this one verse contradicts what Paul says and what he believes. It contradicts everything. Does the Bible contradict itself? And if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're a student of the Bible, we know the Bible never contradicts. So what's happening here? 
Have you ever, has anybody ever um, found gold before? You ever walked along the streets and you found, you, no one finds gold along the streets. You have to dig for it. You have to work hard to find gold. And so when we come to some of these, um, um, these texts, what, what, you know what we've got to do? We've got to dig. And when we dig, we find gold. Anybody want to go digging this morning? Should we go digging to see what we can find, to see if we can find any gold in the Scripture? So what we need to understand about what was happening, what was happening when Paul was um, telling this, writing this letter, he's writing this letter to Timothy, a young pastor. And Timothy was a young pastor. He wasn't like 16, 18. He was about 30 to about 45. He could be writing this letter to me. This is this young pastor. He's a young guy. He's only 45, young fella. <laughs> he's writing this letter. And, 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 the, and Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. And Ephesus is this, is this ancient Greek settlement in um, and, and today it's modern-day Turkey. It's an ancient Greek settlement in, in uh, modern-day Turkey. It's, it's no longer it's just ruins there. You can, visit, you can visit those sites today. It's, it's amazing. I encourage you to go and visit them. One day I'll get to go if someone wants to sponsor me. Anyway, anyway. And, so, um, and so Ephesus. Now, Ephesus has one main religion in Ephesus, and it's to the goddess Artemis. Now, when you arrive to Ephesus, the first thing you see is, is the temple of Artemis, this, this, amazing, this amazing temple. It's the first thing you see when you arrive. In fact, this, this temple, this temple of Artemis, it was, it, was, it was the penultimate of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. It was famous. People traveled to Ephesus just to see this temple. It was grand. And, and, you, and did you know that the priests were only women? It's a woman religion. It's a woman religion. And so this is what this letter that's been, that Paul is writing to Timothy, he's writing it with this Ephesus um, context in mind. So let us read this passage, this passage, and let us have the Ephesus context in mind as we begin to dig and see if we can find any gold in this verse. So if you've got your Bible, Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And let's get into it. Here we go. This is what he says. I also, I want the woman to dress modestly. Okay? with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles, and, and, and so in Greek it could be braided hair, or gold or pearls or expensive clothing. So what they would do is they would braid gold or pearls or all the stuff in their hair. These elaborate hairstyles, they were, they were amazing. You think we've got elaborate hairstyles now. Back in the ancient days, these elaborate hairstyles, and they had these elaborate outfits. This is what they wore. And, and he, said, he said, hey, look, don't do that, but don't clothe yourself with all these things but with good deeds appropriate for a woman who professes to worship God. And when you read that, you're thinking, you can't tell me what to wear. I can, if I want to wear these heels, I will wear these heels. You know, you, oh, what are you trying to tell me? I've got to wear a scarf. I've got to wear a scarf to church. Is this what you're saying? I've got to wear a blue dress and a scarf. I'm not, I'm not saying anything at all about different traditions. I'm not saying anything at all. This is what we need to understand about, about what what. What was the world like 2,000 years ago in Ephesus? We were in Ephesus. We're, we're, we're in a culture where, where the goddess Artemis is the religion. Where every young girl from the time they're born are trained in the way of Artemis. And part of their worship to the goddess Artemis was what they wore. So their worship is in their hair, and it was part of their worship to the goddess Artemis. And so the Apostle is writing to these women. He says, look, your devotion to God is not measured by what you wear. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to prance around and, and have this display, but your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. Mm, and you know what? That's true of you and me today. 
our devotion to God is not measured by how pious we are or how religious we look. Our, our devotion to God is not, is not what, what we wear, but our devotion to God is measured by what we do for people. It's about loving God, loving people. And this is, this is the Apostle Paul, what he's bringing in is this, this, this Ephesian context that, that, that's there. And it goes on, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. And I thought, tell me I've got to be in full submission and quietness. That's, now, that's a sexist verse. Actually, this is not a sexist verse. Did, did you know that 2,000 years ago, in fact, probably even today, it was a very patriarchal society, meaning it was men-orientated. In fact, women didn't even learn. They weren't permitted to learn. That was a place of men. Men were in the place of learning. So can you imagine 2,000 years ago being this woman that's been, that's been told that your place is not in the place of learning, your place is in the kitchen. All of a sudden, you'll be told, wait a minute, I can learn? What, what, I, can, I can learn? Are you saying that I can now learn? This is empowering. This statement that the Apostle Paul makes, it's revolutionary in this time. It's like, whoa, this is not a sexist verse. This is an empowering verse. This is empowering women everywhere that I can now, that you know, you know what, you can't stop me. That, I'm, I'm, that in Jesus there's neither male nor female, that I'm one in Jesus Christ. That, 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 that I, I have access to the King of Kings and nothing's going to hold me back from that. And then we get to this next verse, right? And, all the, and after what we just said, all the ladies said, amen, come on, here, you can learn. This next verse, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And all the men said, all the men are like, I ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> hey, nah, I don't say nothing. And you, if you're married, your wife is looking at you, what are you going to say? <laughs> Go on. So what are you going to say? I'm not say nothing. And so give me, they pull me into this, you know. Okay. What does it mean there? It's obvious. It's an obvious verse, isn't it? Do not permit women to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. But it looks like an obvious verse, but what we know about the narrative, the biblical narrative, it doesn't fit with the biblical narrative. In fact, it doesn't fit with what the Apostle Paul says elsewhere. It just doesn't fit. And, and, and this is the only verse in the entire Bible like this. So, you know, that, that means we need to start digging. This is where we start digging. Let's start breaking down these words. What were the original Greek words? What was the Apostle Paul? Because what the, when the Apostle Paul said this 2,000 years ago, it still means the same today. His meaning. What did he mean? <laughs> and as we break this down, and it's still confusing today. Okay, so the word authority over. We're just going to look at one Greek word. The, the Greek word used for authority over is the Greek word authentain. Now, this Greek word authentain, it's a very, 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 and in case you didn't get me emphasizing this, it's a very, 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 rare ancient Greek word, meaning that it's very rare today. It was even more rare 2,000 years ago. They even say there, there aren't too many writings, biblicals, when you look around, there aren't too many writings with this word authentain. It was, it was rarely used. In fact, it's the only time, this is the only place in the entire Bible this word authentain is used. Quite often Paul uses the word authority, but he uses the traditional word authority, with, which is obvious. But he doesn't use it here. He, he chooses the word authentain. Now, the reason why this word is very rare, this word has 12 different meanings. 12 different meanings. And uh, here are some of the meanings now. One of the meanings, one of the meanings is authority over. Yeah. One of the meanings is murder. <laughs> Did you know that? 
So did you know that you could, you can actually, you can, if we were, we could actually translate and put that murder in there because it actually means that I do not permit women to murder men. I think that's a good, that's a good, we can, I think that's cool. You know, look, don't murder men because we actually need them. It's a good idea for you not to murder them. Thank you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, It also means erotic. Please do not eroticize men. They're in enough issues. Okay. <laughs> Let's just move right on. So it means originator. It also means originator. And, so, and quite often you see this word authentane. A lot of time it's actually used, originator is actually used a lot. Like in the court. So you find some of these this writings in the court of law that, that they were the originator of the, they, they instigated a right. They authentained a right. So you see this in some of the, the old ancient writings. And the word author, author. So the author. So this is most times it's used as author and author tame. For whatever reasons, when it came to our Bible scholars, they, they said this is a, this is a hard word to translate, and there's so many writings. They chose the word authority over. But equally, you could use this is actually this is this is coming from N.T. Wright, who is one of, he's one of the world's leading New Testament scholars. He's a professor in Oxford, and this word author tame. You could actually use the word author, and that's that's a, that's a good translation at all. So if we use the word author. This is what it's going to sound like. It sounds, like, it's just, it sounds like, I do not permit women to teach that they are the author of man. Now, the reason why I, I'm choosing the word author, because any, any translator can choose their word author. The reason why I'm choosing the word author is because when we look at the Ephesians, what they believed, they were taught that women were the author of men as part of the, 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 the goddess Artemis. In Latin, it's, it's Diana. It's Diana, or in Egyptian, it is Isis. This, 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 this goddess, this woman goddess. Um, and so uh, it was a whole thing that was taught that they're the originator of men. They were the author of men. Woman came first, then men. So that's what they were taught, and that's what they were believed. And, and it seems that the women were teaching this in the church because all their life, this is what they believed, and now they're interpreting. So it makes sense. If we put these verses together, it will sound like this. I do not permit women to teach that they are the author of man. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing, for they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So the social pressure amongst women in the day, that if you didn't remain loyal to the goddess Artemis, then you're going to die in childbearing. When you give birth, you're going to die. So don't don't lose, leave the faith. If you leave Artemis, then you will die in childbirth because only Artemis will guarantee that you will survive when you give birth. What's so beautiful about what the apostle Paul wrote, it is actually freeing because this is what he's saying to, in the Ephesian context. Your looks have nothing to do with your devotion to God. You don't have to try to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to try to look good for anyone or anything. Because your devotion to God is not measured by, by your looks, but what you do for people. And, 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 you don't, and by the way, I don't permit women who have this Artemis background to come in and start to teach that the women are, are the author of men. And he begins to give the correct teaching of the creation story and help them understand it. And you don't have to fear that you're going to die during childbearing, but you're going to be preserved through childbearing. If you continue in faith, love, holiness, and with modesty. So in the Ephesian context, Paul is not saying that women everywhere can't teach or lead men. Otherwise, he's going to be contradicting what he says and what the Bible narrative is saying. Paul is squashing this heretical teaching spreading that was spreading amongst the women in the church of Ephesus about the goddess Artemis. 
So let me ask you this question. Looking at the biblical narrative, looking at what woman did, what did woman do? Is it biblical for a woman to preach and lead a congregation of men and women? Is it biblical? According to the narrative of the Bible, which is a unified story from start to finish. And the answer is yes. Yes. Can you get an amen there? Come on. Represent. Woman in the Old Testament exercised leadership, spoke as God's prophet. Women in the New Testament were gifted by God's Spirit for such things as teaching and leading. God has always raised up women with such gifts, and he's never stopped. So where did the silence come from? Where did that come from? Did you know that the idea that we're all equal is not a Western idea? It's not an Eastern idea. It's not a Greek idea. In fact, you guys ever heard of a man by the name of Aristotle? Greek philosopher. He has influenced the Western world. According to Aristotle and his belief, he believed that woman was a deficient form of man. So this idea that the women are less than men is, does not originate in the Bible. It originates in Greek philosophy that has influenced the Western world and how we read the Bible. We've got to get this Greek philosophy out of the church. We've got to get this Greek thinking out of the church. And we need to have the mind of God, the mind of Christ. There's neither male nor female. For we are a new creation in God. The original Bible interpretation. Are there any solely mums out there? I want you to know that you're created in the image of God. Any retirees out there? Any grandmas out there? You're godlike. Any young ladies out there? God's raising you up. Your self-worth is not found in another man. Your self-worth is not found in your looks. It doesn't matter what others think about you, but what matters is what God thinks about you because your worth is found in God. You don't have to prove anything to anyone because when God made you, he made perfection. And God doesn't make mistakes. Can I just say that this isn't just for the ladies? Men, your self-worth is not found in what you do. It's not found in your occupation or lack of occupation. Your self-worth isn't found in being a macho. Your self-worth isn't found in how much money you make. Stop being somebody else and be you. In fact, there's no one better at being you than you. You're the greatest you there ever was. Did you know that? You were born original. Don't die a copy. My worth is found in God. You know, you're made in the image of God. When God looks at you, he sees himself looking back at him. 
So when we read the Bible narrative, when we read Scripture within context, we discover that God never behaves badly. And God certainly is not sexist. My worth is found in God. Come on, let us pray.